On today's show, our guest is Erna Basson. Erna is a person that will make you realize what is truly possible in life if you apply yourself and if you surround yourself with the right people. But you'll need to switch off your TV, stop going to the pub, and most of all, stop wasting time doing the things that are not moving you towards your goals. Erna has shared the stage with Mel Gibson, John Travolta, Mark Wahlberg, Steve Wozniak, Christy Brinkley, Gene Simmons, and more. She's even interviewed Kim Kiyosaki and Grant Cardone. Erna is the founder and owner of several businesses, including Women Entrepreneur, Arabella Hair Extensions, and ErnaBasson.com. She knows how to hold an audience and knows exactly what it takes to help her coaching clients onto spectacular success in life and in business. I'm excited she's here to share her go-all-in story, so please help me in welcoming Erna Basson. Hey, are you totally committed? Are you playing full out? Are you all in? Hi, my name is Robert Brass, and this is the Go All In Podcast. Join me as we explore amazing stories of success, heartache, and absolute triumph by those who have gone all in. I'm glad you're here, so let's get to it and do whatever it takes to go all in and create the life of your dreams. G'day, Erna. Welcome to the show, mate. It's great to have you here. Thank you so much for having me, Robert. I am excited to be here today. You just made me a bit nervous now that you were asking me all those off-air questions. I'm like, yeah, we'll, we'll just run with it. You know, what's the worst that can happen? Like, you know, I can lose everything. Oh, all right, all right. Well, I'd like to start off all of my shows with a quick little get-to-know-you quiz. It actually helps us calm our nerves down a little bit. It warms us up in a rapid-fire way. And maybe the friends and family listening in what might learn something about you that they don't already know. You're just going to tell me the first thing that comes to mind. You ready? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Do you like coaching or mentoring? Coaching. Do you prefer to work with businesses or with individuals? Individuals. Public speaking or writing? Public speaking. <laughs> Every time, right? I hate writing. Yeah. No, I hate writing. Like, or, like the people that work for me, I would send them voice notes. I would never send an email because it just takes so much longer. Mm-hmm. So I can do a voice note in 10 seconds and to actually, and I type fast. I'm a fast typer. But I'm just like, oh, it's so frustrating. So I, I'm a voice note type of girl. That's nice me. One. Can you play an instrument? No. <laughs> You know what? I'm not a musical. I'm more on the sport. Like I can do any sport. Like, yeah. Can you I'm sing? Very, no. Sports. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Would you prefer to be in the office working away? Or would you rather be out networking? Both. It will depend on which event it is for the networking and what I'm working on. So if it's a new exciting project, you'll find me in the office cracking it out. Nice one. Nice. Would you say you're old school or new age? Um, both depends on in which way I am very adaptable to new systems and new platforms, old school. Like I still enjoying like reading books with like a book in my hand. So, yeah. Nice. If you had last question, a serious one, if you had the opportunity to go back in time just for one single day, who would you go back and meet? Oh, go back in time. Oh my goodness. Like, are you referring to someone that I, an opportunity that I missed, or no, it's just like anything. some anyone? You only get a day to go and hang out with them. Oh, you know what? There's so many. Uh, Will Smith, Ellen DeGeneres, Oprah, Tony Robbins, <laughs> Gary V, Gary V, definitely. Those are all, like that's um, those all in are, one day. All in one day. I make sure I get them all in. 
<laughs> All right. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. Will people come on over to the Go All In podcast to hear and learn more about others that have gone all in? So if you could, Erna, could you please, mate, share with us your biggest Go All In story or stories and the lessons that you've learned from your commitment to success? I think if I can give a slight background on where it all started for me, how I started my first business, my second, my third, my fourth, my fifth, it basically, I was, I completed a bachelor's degree in marketing and I'm actually from South Africa. So if you haven't picked up the South African accent yet, I am from South Africa. I'm staying full-time in New Zealand now since August, 2017. So it's almost a year. I finished a bachelor's degree at the university. I worked three or four jobs, you know, just to make sure that I have enough money to buy some awesome clothes, obviously. So after that, I started working at a a firm that sold office automation, you know, like printers and all of that stuff. The Mm. company's name was Kyocera. I think they're still like also in Australia and New Zealand. It's a big brand here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was an employee for six weeks of my entire life. And then I was calling on a, a client. It was one of the biggest alcohol distribution companies in South Africa. So, you know, South Africa is like 48 million people. So we like to drink. So you can imagine it's very big. And I uh, went up to see the, and the RSM, which was the regional sales manager at the time. And during our meeting, he got like, he got an email or a phone call and he was so pissed off. And I'm like, Mr. Thompson, that is, and that's his real name. I asked like, what's wrong? I was only 21 years old at the stage. So I didn't know what was polite and what was wrong and what was correct. So I'm like, hey, no, we know what's up. He's like, you know, he just learned that the marketing agency that they used for their promotions and stuff stuffed up the weekend. So there was a lot of things that didn't happen. And me being very opportunistic, I immediately said, listen, Mr. Thompson, if I can have a company up and running for you in 30 days, will you make use of my services? And he was like, yes. So my first client, I didn't even have a company yet and I already had a client, which was one of the biggest alcohol companies in South Africa. Um, they called Estelle. And literally, as I walked out of that building, I was like, oh my word, I'm starting a company. I have no idea how to do it. I just came out of varsity. But luckily for me, as I gained a lot of experience with working part-time hostessing at um, you know, high-end clubs and so on, I've gained experience, but not running a business experience. So from there on, literally, I sold my car to get some funds to start up. And I was interviewing girls one by one the whole day for about a week to get enough staff because obviously you need staff to start the company that will go out and promote the alcohol, work at golf days, in restaurants. You know what I'm talking about? Like promo staff, promo. right? Yeah. Yes, exactly. And we turned out at the age of 24, I had seven full-time staff members and I had over 500 people working for me on a weekend basis. The company was doing really well. We had all the big names, brands-wise, in South Africa. I'm talking about MTN, Vodafone, uh, Sony, L'Oreal, Maybelline, all the fragrances, Revlon, and all the alcohol companies, KWV, all the wine farms, South African breweries, airlines. And I mean, I was 24 years old, so I think that was rather cool. As the company grew, I found that we, we had to show our clients what they were paying for. Because obviously they're paying, they're paying us on an hourly rate, right? So what, what do they see? Like if they are investing, let's call it a thousand rand an evening to get promo staff to a club to promote alcohol, how are we going to show them the return? So that already was, at a very young age, I was already focused on how are we going to showcase the return of value to our clients? So I actually came up with software that we had custom built for us, for our company, 
we would automatically show ROI for for our client versus what they spend versus what they make and what their profit margin is with a percentage. Mm -hmm. And that just blew everyone's mind away. And that's how we got more clients and more clients. And that was the point where I said, no, it's time to sell the company and move on to the next best thing. So for me personally on opportunities is that every situation, every day is an opportunity. You need to make sure your eyes are open and you say yes to opportunity. The thing is like everyone is so afraid of saying yes to to opportunity, living outside of their comfort zones, but that is where actually all the stuff happens, right? If I were to sit in front of that manager at the style, I would still be selling printers, you know, or I don't know what I'll be doing, but that risk or that all in that I took and saying, listen, you know, will you use my services if I have a company in three days? That paid off completely. So from that day, I go all in on everything that I do. I think in business, it doesn't matter if you're in a startup phase or you've been in an established business for a long time. I think in business, you make your own luck. Why do you think people put limitations on themselves and don't go for it and don't go all in on stuff like that. You, you really just ask that guy a question, you know, if I yeah. started a company. Because people you- are scared of being rejected. Mm-hmm. That is the thing. And you know what? Here's the thing. If you're going to be afraid of asking for something because you, you are afraid of it being rejected, the confidence that you betray in asking that questions won't be at the level that you will ask it. If you're very confident in yourself, like, Hey, Mr. Thompson, if I can guarantee you, I have a company up and running in three days. Will you make use of my services? That sounds much better than me saying, you know, Mr. Thompson, I just started working. Um, maybe I can, uh, you know, do a company for you and I can help you. But, you know, just if you want, he's going to say no. But if you are fearless and asking what you want, and this is the thing, you always need to go for what you want. Mm. Sometimes I- you don't even have to ask for it. You need to take it. Yeah, dead right. Dead right. I learned recently, uh, one of my good mates taught me some, he calls them soft skills about self-awareness and empathy. And the question that he always gets asked is, because he teaches this stuff is, how do you get more self-awareness and more empathy? And he said, you can't. The only way to become more self-aware and more empathetic is to be curious. And when you see somebody in front of you asking questions and and they're making statements, if you're curious about what's behind those questions and what's behind those statements, then you can craft really clever responses that gain the response that you're looking for. So your, your guy there is saying, hey, I've got a problem. This marketing company left me. And without realizing, you said, hey, well, if I started a company, would you use my services? Yes, you plug the gap of the issues that... Exactly. Is- it's solving the problem. Yeah. Absolutely. This is all about solving the problem. So a lot of people asking, what do you mean by adding value? Mm-hmm. What, is, what is adding value? Everyone talks about, I want to add value. You know? And uh, here's the thing. Adding value means that if you have a client in position A, the client wants to be in, in position B, you are the middleman that will take the client from A to B. And that is the value. How bad does that client want position B? And that it will determine the value that you will be for him on how to get him to the next phase or value B that he wants. Absolutely. So that to me, it's value. So yeah. And you asked me this question earlier. It's like, you know, do I prefer coaching or mentoring? I prefer coaching because the thing is why I like most is people take more action. Mm. People are more committed. Because mentoring, a lot of the times, you don't get paid for it. I don't mind doing stuff for free, but I, don't, I hate doing stuff for free that people don't take serious and they waste my time. Yeah, they're not going to follow through and, and do it. Coaching exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So that's why I don't do free coaching at all. I don't do those things because 
it's a waste of time because people do not implement what I say. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and it's frustrating. It's really so frustrating. So I've got a client in South Africa. She's a, a financial, like a CEO. She's very smart. She was wanting to get more into media. Like, Erna, how do you get onto all these magazines? How do you, you know, I said to her, you know what? This is what you do. You do all these steps that I told her to do. And now she's writing for all these magazines in South Africa, even newspapers. And she's recently on a cover of a magazine. Fantastic. And that is like three months. A really short space of time. And if you exactly. Like and you know why? Because she was invested. Yeah. yeah she absolutely. was invested. She, I didn't give her free coaching or free advice or whatever. She was invested. She paid for it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I feel that when people don't pay, people don't value it. And the people that they don't pay are normally the ones that will complain the most. Yeah. Dead right. Dead right. Oh, Tell yeah. me, in your first business there, how long was it that you were in that business before you, you were all in on it, obviously, because yeah. you're completely committed to it. You sold your car. You kind of, you're investing uh-huh. heavily with cash and then with people and time and then your effort and energy. How long before you saw a result? Was it, couple of weeks in was it six months in a year in? it was a couple of weeks i think this is one of my most successful stories ever and i would this is how it started i was working from my husband's office so he had an office in south africa so i was working with my laptop he even bought my first laptop for me <laughs> it was a pink dell laptop it was, it was i love pink and i'm talking about like i'm probably talking about 10 years ago 11 years ago and it cost 3,000 rand so that's about 300 australian dollars for a mm. dell laptop a pink one Mm-hmm. I loved it. And I was sitting in his office every day and I was crafting on my laptop. And uh, I still remember that we were, I was keeping track of our income because I've always been a budget girl. I always knew how much am I spending, how much am I making, and the percent, percentage. Of, that's something that I've always done. And every month I will do these Excel spreadsheets. I didn't even have accounting software. I mean, like, I just started out. And every month we would double and we double and we triple and we triple. And it, what happens is when we do these promotions, the girl, like for instance, alcohol promotions or wine tastings, the girls will come and collect the clothing, the alcohol that they need to promote, the tables, blah, 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 blah. So I had to buy that stock eventually as we were going on, which was fantastic. Mm-hmm. From our first year to our second year, we moved into our own premises next door to my husband's office. It was like literally like a single garage office that was made into an office that we uh, were renting. And then from there on, we outgrew that. We had to move to another office space, which was 160 square meters. That's nothing big. It had four offices, boardroom, warehouse, the whole lot. How quickly, lot. How quickly yeah. did that happen? That was probably in the first year. Wow. And then we moved into an even bigger premises because we outgrew that one. And it's just down the road. It was this beautiful office on the corner. It was, I still remember, it was 26 Warwicka Street in Port Elizabeth, South Africa. And it was on this corner and it was amazing offices. We, we made it look like suits, you know, the, the yeah. story suits. Yeah. yeah. So the offices looked like that inside. It was glass and it was, it was beautiful. I've always been someone that, you know, I want to create culture in the office. I want to have beautiful offices. I want people to come to the office. So, and we marketing, I used to say, we can go, you know, blue chairs, red chairs, things on the walls, you know, make it very creative. And we had one Fridays where we would just like, because we had a deck overlooking the city. So we'll, you know, bring out the branded parasol umbrellas. We'll have wine, platters and all of that. And that building was about 280, 300 square meters. Decent. Yeah, it was a decent size. And uh, what happened is they started breaking into our offices. Oh, like, yeah. like bad, like bad, bad and into the warehouse. Because what happened now this is the first time that the warehouse was separated from the office versus the warehouse. So it was, the warehouse was downstairs and the offices were upstairs. 
and they literally broke into our warehouse three times a weekend. And it was a safety issue because we were more, we were, you know, mostly female dominant um, working there. And I was working late nights, early mornings. And I remember that I would literally sit there sometimes till nine o'clock the evening or even 10 o'clock the evening, start at 5 a.m. again. That was before I had children where I could mm-hmm. do that. So safety became an issue. So then we moved into an office block. Again, beautiful offices, same feeling with um, suits and all of that. A bit smaller, it was 180 squares because we started saying to this, you know, we, we weren't hosting stock anymore in the offices because of this risk factor. I mean, we were doing promotions for Sony. So we had like phones, tablets, you know, the whole lot, mm-hmm. you know, the Sony Xperia. We did that launch in South Africa. Mm-hmm. So it just became like a security risk factor for us. And then we moved into the office block, which was much better. So, yeah. There must have been a series of challenges that you never really <laughs> foresaw. How did you overcome those challenges? And what would you say to somebody that comes up against those sorts of obstacles? That's like a, that's not like an accounting or a cash flow problem or a sales problem. That's like a security issue. Most businesses in Australia wouldn't know that. And definitely in New Zealand, you might suffer from a a similar issue there. I know it's like, it's not so great uh, there as well. How did you handle it? What did you do? Like in South Africa, you always have to have insurance. Mm. And I've always been a person that keeps track of where my stuff goes. Like even when I was younger, my girlfriends were borrowing my dresses from me to go out. I'm like, hey, you still have my dress. I want it back. I've got a memory like an elephant. Like I remember everything. So that came with me with the company. So I would literally remember, even though, because at the time I wasn't working with the people anymore. I was literally just working with the top clients. So I had staff from junior promotion coordinators to senior coordinators to receptionists to all of that social media, the whole lot. So that was really amazing to have all that staff because it really helps to to Mm. do that. But with staff, there comes a lot of issues because when you you have people, you have problems. Yeah. So, you know, it's a win and lose. There's no best scenario the only thing that you can do is you can create a culture as the best possible way that you can and so no we faced like i think that promotions agency that i had was one of the biggest learning curves that i've ever experienced we had staff issues with and i'm being dead honest now and this is what's in my 20s like i was under 25 years old i had staff shooting from me so we had to go to court for that Gosh. i had everything like everything you can think of I had. <laughs> how did you handle? How did you handle being like the business owner in the middle? You're like the octopus. You got eight arms doing eight things at once, and especially as yeah. a girl, you probably do sixteen things at once. You know, you know what? multitasking like that. How did? What were the really challenging things for you? Like for me, multitasking. I'm a good multitasker. So, and I'm very focused. I was very focused. I knew what we wanted to achieve. But it became at a point, that's when I started hiring people to like say, okay, so you take care of this client, you take care of that client, you take care of the stuff that goes out, you are just on courier, mm-hmm. making sure that the, the stuff arrives on time. So that was a big relief when we had those staff. But I mean, before all of that, it was only me. And like being in the promotions events industry, all of those things happen on the weekends mm-hmm. and evenings. So you never, are t- you never have time off. Like when, when I would go to the movies with my husband, my phone would be on my lap. To make sure that if something goes wrong at a promotion or something that, you know, I can, you know, be on my phone. Solve it. Exactly. So that's where we got the promotions um, coordinators, which was amazing. So that worked well. I wasn't on standby on the weekends, but I mean, I remember um, the one promotion we did was New Year's and New Year's is big in South Africa. Mm. And we had to go out about 150 kilometers to like the seaside place just outside of Port Elizabeth 
I mean, it was the 31st. The evening, the afternoon of the 31st, we had, my husband was amazing. He supported me 100%. We drove through the afternoon. We set up this whole place. It's like a festival, like bands and alcohol and all of that. And it's New Year's. It was happy. So we were the idiots driving to an event to set it up on the 31st. And we had to go fetch the stuff again on the 1st. Oh, gosh. So, yeah. So, but you know what? Obviously, you know, that comes with perks. You can charge whatever you want because client has a problem. So, you know, we, like when people were, <laughs> while people were drinking over New Year's, like we were catching in on 40,000 rand worth of profit in four hours. So for a 24 year old, that's not bad. It's worth doing. Exactly. Exactly. So for me, it's like, I always look at it when we get jobs and it's like, is it worth the risk? You know, because mm. everything there's risk. So with having a promotions agency, you have risk of promoters not showing up. You have risk of promoters not being on time. You have risk promoters that's not professional, blah, 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 blah. And I was laughing so much. And I was talking to my husband about this just the other day. It's just as we started with the company, the sign-up form was like, for instance, I just want to like, it was one page, like literally like, this is a sign-up form, right? With the terms and conditions were like three sentences. <laughs> After a while, it became like the terms and conditions were the back in front of the page, but it was so tiny. That's how you learn about everything that you need to protect. Yeah, all the things that can go wrong and all the things exactly. that can happen. Exactly, because you are working with students, young people that don't get that, you know what, they're actually working in, inside an established brand. And yeah. if they don't show up to a promotion, it, it reflects badly on us and we risk losing a client. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that you moved on from that business. You sold it. What did it feel like to sell your first business? That's not a thing that a lot of people actually get to do in business. Many yeah. small business have one and they pretty much own a job. And it's a rare thing to be able to sell it and to offload it for a decent chunk of change. What did it feel yeah. like to you? So for me, it was sad the day I had to go clean out my office. It would have been. I felt like I was fired because literally everything inside that office, I built. And I mean, we had set up the art office furniture and it was beautiful. And that I bought as we grew all the time and I invested money back into the company. So we were doubling our profits year on year on year on year on year, which was fantastic. And I remember the day and I had to clear out my office when we were still at that building where they was break, breaking into our offices so much. And I had to clear my office out there. And I was highly pregnant as well with my second child. So my first child literally grew up in the office. I was off for a week or two and then it was back to the office and he came with and all of that. So I had a nanny and things, but what happened is I was highly pregnant. I had to clean up my office, you know, put everything in the box. And I, as I walk out, I just like started crying. Maybe it was the hormones of being pregnant or obviously it was everything. No, it's, it's, it's your baby. A, that, yeah, often, that business is your baby. Like, the same as the baby in your tummy. Same thing. Exactly. It's a five-year journey that, yeah. that I've built from nothing. Yeah. Literally from nothing. <laughs> so that was an incredible feeling. So what happened is I started a publishing company. We were doing a wedding magazine. So it started as a wedding online directory. So if you're getting married, go onto the website. You'll find photographers, venues, stationery, supplies, blah, 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 and inspiration ideas and all of that stuff. And then it just expanded into a bi-monthly magazine and we had competitions. So we had, there was another magazine that was very established in the area and we closed them down. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Which is, a, you know, yeah. anyways, uh, I call it good marketing and we just gained market share and we grew so much growing into a monthly magazine from bi-monthly. 
So that is supply and demand, right? So if people want it, you know, you need to give the people what they ask for. Yeah, so that was a publication company. I saw that one as well. In did, you, April, did you go from the marketing agency to the publishing, publishing company done. straight yes. away? Had you had those things going on together simultaneously or was quit uh, one and went so, to the other? Yes, yes, yes. So for instance, I started the, the online directory, the wedding directory, while I was still working inside the promotions agency. So I had a person running that for me and all of that. And then I said, you know what, this is a great, because I wanted to take a step back because mm-hmm. um, Raising my first child was not the way I wanted for my second one because I don't believe a child should grow up in office. Yeah, just working too much. Yeah. Uh-uh, exactly. And, and I think where it really came into play for me is when I gave birth to my second child and as I was coming out of that hospital, I got a phone call. Like literally, they pushed me outside of, out of the hospital with a baby in my hand. It was a client. A, like It was a man client, a male client, a young male client. And he's like, listen, Erna, did you, did you receive my mail yesterday? I'm like, uh-huh. you know, I just had a baby. Um, oh, okay, so when will you have time to just reply to me? I'm like, God. excuse me? And that's when I said, no, this is enough. Yeah. I started the publication company, Emergency Weddings. So that's when we expand into the publication side of it, the magazine. I was running that from home, which was fantastic because I had two kids, one little, like just newly born baby mm-hmm. and one uh, toddler. So that was like a a very cushy, comfortable space where I was in, you know, I was, I chose to only work three hours a day, two hours a day, because I made the decision to spend more time with my kids because I felt like I missed out on the first run. Sounds like it was perfectly timed. It was. It was perfectly timed. And and you know what? My husband has always been, has always supported me because I just remember that there was this time where I was just telling them, listen, I I can't run this promotions agency anymore because it's so stressful. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, I think it's time. You can feel it's time. Like you, when you start selling companies, you would know. It's not the numbers that tells you. It's not the company position that tells you. It's your intuition. Heart. Your heart's not yeah. in it anymore. You're ready to move on from it. Yeah, no, my heart has always been in it. And I still like look at what they're doing still to this day. Like, hey, you know what? They, and the thing is, we've been such a close family within the organization that you know, I still have some of the promoters that worked for me that's not married. I'm like, oh my God, what's happening? I'm getting so old now. Because obviously they were 19, 20 years old at the time when they were working for me. Mm-hmm. So it was like a little, you know, like I felt like a mama in there, like, you know, making sure everything is fine. And some of them were my age. So that I think that is a hard thing is if you are young and you need to be the boss, you know, like the young boss. It's mm-hmm. like, and also I remember that um, when I had to pitch our presentation to the South African brewery firm, which is billions and billions and billions of dollars worth. I was like 22 years old and I was standing in front of this, this presentation room. It's like a theater. Imagine like a mini movie room with uh, mm-hmm. 50 or 60 seats. I had to do a presentation. I was 22 years old and uh, there was all these 40, 50 year old sales. Directors. All the managers and sales yes. mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And uh, I came from, I'm originally from Bloemfontein, which is very farm Afrikaans. Yeah. Like solid Afrikaans. So you're a country girl. Yes. So I had a very strong Afrikaans accent. The accent. Yeah. And yes, and I do speak English because now poor Elizabeth is very English. I remember it so good. Like <laughs> my opening line was, you know, I'm so excited to be here with you guys. Please, you know, I'm from Bloemfontein. So if I get my E's and R's wrong, don't judge me. <laughs> <laughs> and it just broke the eyes. Everyone loved it. So we got the contract. It was great. So it was a good presentation then. 
you were all in like virtually every single day of owning that business by the sound of it. I can, the listeners can't see you, but I can see you on, on the video on this call and I can see the yeah. excitement in your face and I can tell that you were really all in on those presentations and you just go from one thing to the next in business like that. Exactly. 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 I think sometimes it grew too quickly and what happens is once you start growing too quickly and you're achieving all these goals that you want to achieve and all of that, then you start forgetting what you have achieved and then you don't focus and you don't celebrate what you have achieved. You know, that is, I think that's at this point in my life, I'm 30 years old right now. I make a point to celebrate the wins of mm. the week, to make sure, you know, have a bottle of champagne every week. Why not? You know, <laughs> But that is very important to me. So moving from South Africa to New Zealand is very different in terms of the lifestyle. And it's very different. Like in South Africa, it's hustle. Yeah. 24 seven a day hustle. It's like surviving. You know, it's the survival of the fittest. And it's, um, this is literally and figuratively, like, you need to survive. Mm. <laughs> Either from people that's trying to kill you or you need to survive making money in your company, make being successful, you know? Yeah, everything closes at 4.30 in the afternoon in Auckland, right? Oh, I would say three. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. So, and, Wonderful. Yeah, and, I mean, and I mean, like, in South Africa, schools, I used to drop off my kids at school at 7 a.m. and pick them up at, like, 4.35. Here, it's 9 a.m. and it's 4. Yeah. That's a big difference. Quite a different lifestyle. Tell me about moving from another country, from South oh. Africa. That's what you'd known your whole life. Obviously, you'd traveled a little bit, but then yeah. migrating to New Zealand, which is... Well, it's very same. We, the Kiwis look the same and sound the same as... But they can play rugby. They can play rugby. They can play rugby, yeah, that's for sure. They're all right at cricket too sometimes. Mm-hmm. But what was that like? You know, that must have been a, a fundamental shift, particularly in and around security and safety yeah. and personal safety. It is. Like that. Huge yeah, they say it's one of the most... Immigrating to another country is one of the most stressful things that you can do as a married couple or as, as a, a family. family. Yeah. It's very expensive, it was, but you can't put money on lifestyle. You know, and we had the most beautiful house that we built in South Africa. It was 640 square meters big. It was the Dude. biggest house in the area that we stayed in. It was the most expensive house sold in the entire history mm-hmm. of that area. So it was beautiful. And, and I mean, I was 27 when we owned that, that house. So that is a big accomplishment for me or for us. So we moved to a rental into, it's called Love My Heights, which is like the... That area where people, area. Yeah. that area, not that we not, didn't stay in a fan. We were in a newer area, new, newly developed area that's beautiful. But this is like, love my heart, it's like the established, you know, the old school, old money Lani, that one. I don't did know, you do you know the word Lani? No. It's like rich people. <laughs> uh, did you have any friends in New Zealand when you moved there? Or did you have to start? We, have, we had a few. We had two or three sets of friends. It was good. But I mean, we stay about 30 kilometers outside of Auckland. So we're not inside of Auckland. Not uh, so we're not very close. You know, we don't see each other every weekend, but we see each other maybe once a month or so. So from there on, we moved to a rental and we, we had to actually move out because our lease expired because we thought we we're going to be in New Zealand very uh, much sooner than we thought. So then we had to go on month to month and then we, we had to move into this B place. It was moving so much because uh, the container picked up our furniture because we, we brought con- um, furniture over and that yeah. takes about eight weeks, 10 weeks. Mm-hmm. So um, luckily the B&B uh, townhouse that we did ha- rent out or hired was new- newly renovated, brand new. It was amazing. So I love staying there and then we made the move. It's very stressful. So we're now busy applying for our residence visa. So When you got there, did you think like, 
you'd made a mistake or was it like, nah, this is it. This is what we're going to do. It must've had some second thoughts. To be honest, I felt like my personal brand was just exploding in South Africa and I was just making a name for myself in South Africa because I was on these, all these magazine covers, inside magazines, all that. And now I'm like, I'm moving to a country where I know no one in business. It's completely different. And the mentality, the South African mentality and the Kiwi mentality is like very super different. Yeah, especially journalism, right? Yeah, so they have tall poppy syndrome here. It's like people don't speak about their accomplishments and don't speak about themselves. In South Africa, that's all we do. <laughs> so yeah. to be very honest, so that was like one of, and I think South Africans come across, there's a lot of South Africans in New Zealand. It's like mini South Africa. I love this country. Mm. I think the biggest thing for South Africans is we are so confident and we are so driven and we are literally from birth, you need to survive. You do what you need to do to survive. And some of the people maybe here can find it very cocky, you know, like, oh, she's arrogant or he's arrogant or she's full of herself or, you know, she thinks a lot about herself. But that's how we were programmed in South Africa. It's to, you need to be who you want to be to achieve what you want to achieve. Yeah, and I think you come from, in South Africa, the society there is just more people. And when you come from a place where there's more population, it's just naturally more competitive. So in order to stand out, you've got to hustle harder. You've got to be faster, better. I've always been that type of girl. Like I'm a netball player, very, very, very sport competitive, extremely competitive. Like, I don't know if you can tell that, but I'm extremely (laughs) competitive. I used to dance for the rugby cheetahs, the cheetah, Vodacom cheetahs in South Africa. For two years, I was a cheerleader for them. And that like immediately would put you in a position where you are, used to having the attention where you used to look a certain way, where you used to need to be like acting a certain way, being in the media, being in PR, all of that stuff, being constantly judged. So that was, I think I gained a lot of life experience in all these odd things that I did while I was studying. So for me, I'm in the entrepreneur magazine now in South Africa, and it's about how I started as a promo goal to a global entrepreneur. I think that people sometimes think that, you know, these odd jobs as, as, as waitressing or doing promo work or whatever the case might, you might be doing as an odd job to, you know, to get more income while you study or whatever, people think that it's nothing. It is not nothing. That will teach you the life skill that will set you up. You know, that's my personal opinion. I couldn't agree more. Life's a game of inches and seconds. You know, every little thing that you do incrementally adds to the collective. Yeah. And when you stop and take stock of where you are, often I find myself as I've matured into a business owner and entrepreneur. And sometimes I sit down at my desk and I've got to start a task or I'm working on something. I feel like that every single little thing that I've ever learned or had to have done has led me to this point because there's no way that someone without the skill sets that I've got. And they're not, they're, they're, in some ways they're unique, in some ways they're pretty commoditized. But sometimes the things that I know are really, really unique. And that's the reason why I've got this job and this opportunity in front of me and I'm working on it. But you know, that never would have happened unless I took that crappy job that I, you know, oh, just, like, yeah. I kicked the carpet and went, oh God, I've got to do that, you know, but I had to do that in order to get to where I am it's, today. Exactly. It's like I research, you need to eat some shit before you can taste the caviar. Yeah. <laughs> Somewhere along the lines of that. Tell me about your coaching business and the clients that mm-hmm. you look after and how do you go working with, you're a very high energy individual. I love that. You're really animated like me as well. I love that. It must be hard to kind of dial that back and find different personalities in there and what works for them. Tell me about that. Yeah. So when I do take coaching clients, um, they invest, you know, a, a substantial amount of money into, with me. But before we actually say, you know, let's go ahead with it, I always make sure they be a good fit. 
Right. So I will always jump on a call first. You find out more about them, where they are in their journey. Because I feel that if you are not a good fit as a business coach, you know, I can either be the person, you know, to just take someone's money and just like, you know, listens to them and like give advice. Or I can be the person that will actually do, be, that's actually passionate about what I'm doing, about helping people. And if I don't relate to the person or if I don't click or fit with the person, it's harder to help them. So for me, it's about finding the perfect fit for client and coach. Mm-hmm. If you're looking for someone that's going to be analytical about financial P&Ls and income statements, I'm not your girl. Yeah. <laughs> right, straight up. That's not me. If you're well, looking, plenty of people could do that. Yeah, exactly. Generally that's an accountant. That's an accountant. But if yeah. you're looking for someone that will keep you on your toes, that will keep you accountable, that will tell you when you're doing sweet blow bogerol, which is a South African accent, like a South African saying, meaning doing nothing, I will tell you. You know, sometimes people need a stick up the bum to get them going. You know, just light the fire. So that's, I am very driven and I want people to have results. I believe in coaching and what I can do, but coaching only works when people take action. I had this discussion, like I cannot take any credit for any of my clients' success because you know what? If they did not implement what I told them, the implementation lies with them. I can't implement for them. Implementation yeah. lies with them. And their success is 100 up to them. You yeah. know, who am I to say, oh, well, I made you that. I turned you into that person or, you know, that's bullshit. Mm. I've had the privilege of mentoring a couple of people and coaching as well and, and just helping people. And sometimes they struggle and I find people have a hard time with things. And, you know, the natural response is, well, you've just got to keep pushing. You've got to keep moving forward. You've got to mm. keep doing more of what you're doing because it's working. And sometimes the simplest things that are the most obvious for a person and they hear that from a, a friend or a family member or a coach you know, or a loved one, you know, just keep pushing forward, keep doing that. And you can see on their face, they're like, oh man, that means I have to do the work. Can't you do the work for me? And so I know you've got to do it yourself. You've got to make it happen, you know, but coaching really does work. And if you don't have a coach for the listeners out there, that's something that I really, really recommend. And I'm no, definitely, definitely, here, definitely. But also it's like, if you're not willing to work hard, then don't waste your money. Yeah, totally. Tell me about yeah. Women Entrepreneur. Ooh, Women Entrepreneur, that's my latest baby. It started at the end of November. That In the first four days, we hit six-figure status. Yay, I'm so Fantastic. excited about that. Because I've got the hair extension business as well, Arabella Hair Extension. So I've got that and I've got Women Entrepreneur. And Women Entrepreneur is just like, it's the most amazing platform for women in business. So what we do is we've created this online platform for women in business to help and, and empower them. It contains um, like blueprints. It's, a, it's basically a membership platform. You get access to our monthly digital magazine. We had the most amazing cover stars in the magazine from Kim Kiyosaki to Kayla Itzis to Grand Godone. We have a major Australian female entrepreneur on the cover for August of July, which I'm so excited to announce in a week. Mm-hmm. And it's just exploding. It literally started as an online platform and then it went into a digital magazine and then it went into a club, networking club, and then it's going into events, it's going into masterminds, it's going into retreats and podcasts and all of that stuff. So I'm really very happy where we are at this point with Women Entrepreneur and how, how it's doing. So I've got people full-time now doing the digital marketing for us, doing the social media marketing for us, doing the funnels for us. And yeah, so it's, it's great. It's, Fantastic. That is, I think this is one business that exploded, you know, 
the fastest. Awesome, awesome. Well, I'll make sure the links are included in the show notes for this episode yeah. as well. So if people want to connect with you there, they can. Tell me about Arabella Hair Extensions. My daughter saw me prepping for this interview before I jumped on the call with uh, you here now. And she's like, wow, look at her hair. She's so pretty. She's so beautiful. Uh, it's called Photoshop. My, yeah. <laughs> well, she's... No, no, I was referring. I said, look at her hair. And I, and I said, is that real? I'm not really looking at your website. Yeah. And she's yeah, so, 11, you know, and excited. Uh, wow. Seen. Well, I can send you the link where you can buy it for her for Christmas. <laughs> I hope you so, get a freebie. Yeah, um, uh, I don't do free, remember? The hair extensions are not good, right? Yeah, well, we just, you just missed out. We had our annual clearance. Uh, everything was off 80%. Tell me so, about the business. How long have you been doing that for? Arabella Hair Extension started in April last year, which was exciting. Uh, so we just, just turned one. We have got a lot of media coverage. So this is the first product-based company that I've done. So it's very different than a service-based company. I was actually speaking about this in the Entrepreneur Magazine feature as well, saying that <laughs> how different service and product is. I mean, with the promotions agency and with Women Entrepreneur and Erna Madsen, it's all services, so there's no money upfront, up front, you know. Meaning, you know, you'll have your websites and all that stuff. But I'm talking about stock. I'm talking about a million up front. You know, that's what I'm talking about because that's where we are at the moment. We didn't get investors in the beginning and it was all my own money and all of that. And it started in South Africa. We started as a, and I'm going to be dead honest now. I made a lot of mistakes, rookie mistakes within this business. We started Blueprint from the beginning was to only do clip and hair extensions. Now, clip and hair extensions is something that you can just like, you know, do it yourself. 10 minutes, it's done. No, five minutes. So transform your hair from short hair to long hair in five minutes. It's insane. So it started off as, as a business, an online business for clip and hair extensions. It didn't grow as fast as I wanted to grow. So then we went in to say, listen, let's go to salons, resellers. We're going to go to resellers, wholesalers, blah, blah, blah. The thing is, salons doesn't want to buy clippings. They want to buy tapings because yeah. salons make money on installing tapings, right? Then what happened? We got tapings. And uh, the thing about extensions is you have 15 colors. You have three different lengths, three different thicknesses. So imagine that stock inventory. Huge, huge. And it's then you've huge. got to service the wholesale market and your salons and then the retail market as well. Exactly. Yeah, big big so, uh, outlay there in capital, that's for sure. Yeah, and this is something that I want to say to everyone that wants to do an e-commerce business is just go to Shopify straight. Don't even try and build a custom website. It, it's not going to be worth your while. It's going to cost you about $20,000, $10,000 to do. Mm-hmm. And you're just going to waste your money. And you're going yeah. to go back to Shopify. Because uh, the reason why, you can custom make your Shopify store 100%. You know, you can get developers that will code on that. But that's much better. Because the reason why is, is that installing apps on Shopify, obviously the things that, you know, that will drive more sales to your, sell, um, to your store, Follow-up is major in that. There's a lot of tips and tricks that I can give you with e-commerce. Mm-hmm. But just installing apps and stuff, it's just so much easier and to integrate all your CRM software and all of that into an e-commerce too, which is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. So that was a major lesson. That was a 40,000 Rand lesson for me. <laughs> yeah, that we spent on a, on a custom website. Yeah, we just made so many mistakes in terms of not 100% saying what we want to do. We didn't... I think maybe we transitioned too fast, you know, it's like, oh, fuck, this is not working. Sorry for my language. This is not working. We need to, we need to transition. We need to do something because obviously, you know, you already so much money into it. I had full-time people working for me. We were busy immigrating. It was just like, oh my gosh. Stressful. It was very stressful. So then I met my business partner 
who owns his own product company in South Africa and we just got along so well and I'm like, hey, listen, would you like to invest into Arabella Hair Extensions? He's like, yeah, let's do it. So luckily I got an investor and he's a very good friend of mine. So now we moved the stock warehousing from Johannesburg to, to Cape Town in South Africa because that's where his stuff is. So I, I knew, you know, we won't have any stock discrepancies. Everything will be perfect. Blah, blah, blah. There's no such thing as perfect in product-based companies. And I think that the hardest thing with product-based companies is you're working with a product which, you know, they, shit happens. Yeah. You know, the courier is late or we, it's stuck in customs or, you know, this, the box is a bit like maybe chipped on the side and we, now we need to return it again or whatever the case. But like I'm talking about the packaging box. Mm. Luckily, our hair quality is amazing. Our hair goes through a three-step quality process, making sure that the hair, the quality is good. It doesn't, you know, tangle or fall out or whatever the case might be. Um, so that's fine. It's just like sometimes the outer packaging, it can get damaged within travel and all of that, or the career can be late or, you know, so it's just, I must say it's a, having product is hard, but we are figuring it out at the moment. It's doing much better than it used to do. Is it an overnight success? Definitely not. Will it be a very successful company in 10 years? Absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely not an instant gratification. In my digital marketing agency, I've worked a lot in the e-commerce space, hell of a lot. And people always think that that's a, a magic pill. And a lot of startups come to us with incredible products, actually. You know, I've never worked yeah. in a startup space that hasn't had an incredible product, but they really understand the logistics that are involved behind oh. it and the technology that drives it and the ad returns and all of the metrics that go behind trying to sell something online. It's very, very hard in an ultra competitive environment. And in some ways, it's the most competitive environment on the planet. People come up with products and services mm. that have never been seen before, no matter how hard you oh, look yeah. for it and you think you're going to be able to sell it, but you still suffer from the same problem as everybody else, which is just obscurity. People just don't know who you are. And then there's a cost of reaching a market and getting there and then fulfillment. And exactly. We were running campaigns over the weekend and you wouldn't believe, but our Australian and New Zealand ads did amazingly. We had great sales, no questions, like mm -hmm. zero questions. South Africa, it's like, how do I order online? Yeah. And it's nothing against South Africans. It just shows you the difference between a first world country Different and a market. second world country. So we need to record a video on mm. how you, you're going to buy these extensions on our website. And this is literally a simple, choose your color, choose your length, add to cart, check out. Yeah. And then you need and, to show people how to put it in their hair, you know, even if that's two seconds. Yeah, well, no, we, we have those tutorials. Yeah. That's fine. It's, yeah. It just literally mind boggled me that people were asking me, like, how do I buy it online? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. That was, I'm not, it is not being rude or being, you know, whatever. It's about making, I saw this, like, I'm like, why is this? And then you're like, okay, well, the, the thing is, South Africa just turned a tipping point of only having 1% of people actually buying online where the U.S. has 23% buying power online. Mm. So they are so used to it. South Africa is not used to it. And also, like you say, if people don't know your brand, but in South Africa, we have 125 retailers selling our product, which is mm. really good. So you're well known. Um, yeah. So I wouldn't say we're the most famous hair extension brand out there, but we have a killer marketing campaign coming up that will definitely change that. Yeah. And in all the frustration that you're feeling there, there's a good thing that's happening too, because that means people are asking buying questions. And if you can reach more of those people, as annoying as those questions might be, that could be good for revenue. So you got to stick with it. That's the part of e-commerce yeah, and product. Yeah, yeah. I was on a, on a call with our digital guys now this morning, 6 a.m., because they, they are from South Africa. And we had a 7x return on our investment for ads versus sales. Fabulous. 
Yeah, that's yeah. fabulous. That's worth so, doing, see? That's worth all exactly. the It's worth all the Ex- yeah. Exactly. So 7X, it's, I'll take it any day. So, and this was literally the first one we did together. Mm-hmm. And it was particularly in a day because I'm like, hey, listen, I want to do a sale. End of the month, you know, people got paid. <laughs> we need to do a sale. Yeah. And like, we're going to do another one this weekend, but we're going to focus on one country at a time so we can get the secret sauce formula. Yes. Nice yes. Well, yes. Lona, as we draw to a close in this podcast, it's been really great to have you here. What would you say to a, a 17-year-old girl that's about to leave high school? They're in the last year of high school in year 12. They're about to step out into the big bad world. What would you say to them if you had a minute or two to have a conversation with them? Oh, there's so much I would say. I would say, don't try and be the person that your parents want to be. Be the person that you want to be. And you know what? If you want to be a YouTube makeup blogger or star, that is fucking all right. Because you will make a ton of money from that, doing that. And the thing is like, who are we to say, this is, I want to I do, this is a true story. Is that a lot of women approach me and they ask like, Erna, like these Instagram people, they, you know, they don't do anything and they're making so much money and they're driving Ferraris. And I'm like, it's not that they don't do anything. They do something really well. Do you know how hard it is to dress up every day to have your makeup perfect, your hair perfect, put on those damn heels that hurt your feet like crazy and go out in the courts and take beautiful photos so you can post it on Instagram. Do you know how hard it is? And to build an audience and captivate an audience and build an engagement on Instagram, it's super hard. That's a job right now. Oh, absolutely. No, that is no one, question that about is that. 100%. And YouTube stars, I mean, you know what? There's a little boy, He's. Um, it's called the Ryan's Toy Review uh, channel, YouTube channel. That boy is making $43 million a year <laughs> by taking a toy. Oh, here's a toy and I'm playing with it. Incredible, right? And he's six years old. Incredible because they know, those companies intuitively know that other children and other parents are watching those things yeah. and watching the real life review of that. Yeah. Well. And I mean, you know what? I would say to those people, you know, to teenagers at the moment, go and follow Govi because he is so in tune with millennials at the moment and he just speaks to them the way that, you know, he speaks their lingo. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic advice. Go and be the person that you want to be. Don't be the one that your parents want you to be. I love it. Well done. Thank you for sharing. I, I, I'm going to get in a lot of trouble. I love it. <laughs> Divide the audience. That. Divide the older audience. It's kind of fun. I love it. <gasps> Yeah, yeah. Well, I was waiting for the brutal questions that you're gonna like dig at me. Like, I, I haven't received them yet. Where, where are those? I was well, excited. We can organize that in a follow-up interview if you like. <laughs> I can bring that thick and fast if you like. Well, uh-huh. that's, that's it for this show. Well, thanks for coming on and sharing your go all in story and sharing a bit of your background and your history. I'd love to revisit where you're up to in a couple of months' time and bring you back on again just to hear about the sure. progress of women entrepreneur and how that's growing into a physical business, not just an online one as well and where yeah. people connect with you there. So I think that's a really, really important thing. Where can people find out more about you? What's the best way to connect with you? Is it in uh, social media, website, Instagram, email? Instagram, um, Erna Bassett, Bassett Official. That's, I'm very active on Instagram. And I also have my Facebook page, Erna Bassett Official. But best way to get immediately reaction from me in two minutes, Erna Bassett Official on Instagram. 
Okay, fantastic. Well, again, I'll make sure all of those links are included in the show notes. Awesome. And if you haven't already subscribed to the Go All In podcast, if you could just go to your favorite podcasting app and hit that subscribe button, that helps us a boatload. And if you like what you heard today, if you could leave us a review, that'd be great. And if you didn't, leave us a review because we always like to improve as well. Well, again, that's it for this show. Thanks, Erna, for coming on so much. We really appreciate you sharing your time and spending your morning with us. We'll see you again soon. Bye for now. Thank you for having me. Bye.